So today, as I mentioned, we are wrapping up our series, Graceland, right? We're wrapping up our series, Graceland, and we've been talking about Jesus coming uh, into this world in the midst of all of the craziness uh, that was happening back then to teach us that there was a better way of doing it, right? To teach us that there was a better way of doing it, of living here on earth. He actually came to bring us this incredible gift called grace. Right? And so over the last several weeks, we've talked about the grace that empowers us to overcome our hurts, our pains, and our disappointments of life. We also have talked about the grace that empowers us to overcome our pride. A grace that empowers us to overcome our past. And last week, we talked about a grace that empowers us to overcome our fears. This morning's final grace empowers us to overcome our weaknesses. Overcome our weaknesses. And as always, I'd like to ask you a question. Trying to, uh, my goal with all the questions before uh, I, I go into my message uh, a little bit deeper is to kind of get you thinking. Eventually, the question that I always start with is the question that will come at the end and tie everything up. And is this, can you remember a time when, uh, when someone caught you doing something embarrassing, right, Right? I know it's bad, but what do you expect? I just can't help it. Right? Think about that moment where it was recent or a couple of years back, right? But that moment where you got caught red-handed. You actually got caught with the, your hand in the cookie jar. Right? Maybe he was peeking over the bushes or over the wall into your neighbor's backyard party. I know, I know. I don't have a backyard, but I used to do it in other people's backyard. <laughs> or maybe it was scoffing down that last piece of chicken, thinking nobody will saw you when your cheeks are like this. Right? Or maybe it was that time you tried taking that, that extra gift bag, even though you already had taken one earlier. But you said to yourself, those are extras. Right? That moment where you got caught doing something that was embarrassing and all you had to say for yourself was, man, I can't help it. Right? We all have certain tendencies, things that we are, that are difficult for us. Right? The longer we wallow in certain weaknesses, the more we think, man, this is, this is just who I am. This is just the way I am. And we come to terms with that fact, we all have things that we don't like about ourselves, things that don't represent the sort of person that we want to be. We just sort of feel stuck though, right? So our strategy becomes just, just, just cover it up and hope that it never surfaces and that no one ever finds out. So in essence, we cross our fingers and pray that God will forgive us. But if we're honest, most of it is what it is. It's who I am. It's who I'm always going to be. And so we think, man, what, what do we do? 
We reiterate, I'm going to be bad with money. I'm always going to be chubby. I'm always going to not have control of my sexual desires. I'm always just going to be an angry elf. This is just the way it is. This is the way I was built. This is the way I am. Have you ever said that stuff to yourself before? And because we believe that, we speak it into existence and eventually becomes true of us. Because we all know that people don't tend to do better until they believe that they can be better. When we believe that the way that, and when we believe that the way we are is all that's possible, we limit our own possibilities. But what if what if the good news of Jesus is even better news than you're thinking or giving it credit for? What if what Jesus came to give us is better than what we're actually giving it credit for? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's read in chapter uh, in the book of John chapter 8. And we're going to be sharing about the story about the woman who was caught in adultery. And in verse 3 it says, as he was speaking, Jesus was speaking, right? As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, isn't that everyone's worst fear? Having everyone you know catch you at your worst moment. Putting your weakest, your biggest weakness on blast on display for everyone to see. Those who who did not hear it would would eventually catch wind and pop their head out the window and say, Wilmer, is that you? Can't believe it, right? And so everyone was here to witness what was on display. And there's no way to hide it. There's no way to cover it. Good thing we live in a society now that doesn't like putting your weaknesses on blast. You know, like We don't like putting other people's stuff on, on Facebook, on Twitter, or, or Instagram. Not us, right? That's not our society today. Let's keep reading. The Pharisees and those are, that were in that group. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stop something that they could use against him. Not her. Against him. Now, this is like everyone needs to know about it. And because of that, your life should be over. Because of this horrible thing. But it's not even about her. What they're trying to do here when end do is to trap Jesus. She's just, she's just a means to an end. It's a toxic mixture of religious hypocrisy and mob mentality. Right? A society that when they see weakness, they want to prey on it. The weakness in others is because it reminds us of the weakness in ourselves. Right? It reminds us of the weakness in ourselves. Let's keep reading in verse 6b. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. 
There's a lot of speculation about what Jesus was writing in the dust. Many scholars believe that he may have written something that alluded, that hinted to everyone's sins. In other words, he was indicating you all have weaknesses. The difference is hers is on display and yours, well, yours is still covered up. It's Jesus' subtle way of saying, what if I exposed your your biggest weaknesses and punished you, right, punished you for the same way and the same harshness that you want to punish her? That's deep right there, right? Think about that. In our weaknesses, in our weakness, we want to belittle someone else. We want to make, we want to bring the attention to someone else's uh, misdeeds or weaknesses in order to camouflage or take the light off of ours. And Jesus says, man, what if, what if I put your sins on blast? What if I put your weakness, weaknesses on blast, right? What if I held you accountable for those things in the same manner that you're choosing to do to her? Looks less like a megaphone and more like a mirror. Less like a megaphone and more like a mirror. This is Jesus being confrontational. Right? This is Jesus being confrontational. He's not yelling at them. He's not calling them, uh, calling people out individually. Right? He's addressing the crowd that came about to try to point the finger, to try to put this lady's uh, uh, weaknesses on blast. Right? He's not calling them out individually. He's not shaming people in front of the crowd. He's showing them that uh, he's showing them what they look like, as if to say, "Is this who you want to be?" Is this who you want to be? Is this how grace doesn't turn people's evil tactics against them? It uses different tactics altogether, right? We're talking about grace here because grace understands that the way you do something is just as important as what you're doing. I want to let that sit in your heart for a little bit. And think about what that means for you, right? Grace understands that the way you do something is just as important as what you're doing. If you attack the gracelessness of others in a graceless way, you are now part of the problem, not the solution. If you attack the gracelessness of others in a graceless way, you are now part of the problem. Let's continue to read here. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Talk about, talk about spread. It's getting everybody out of the way. See, nobody wants to be exposed. Like, can you imagine that picture? Like, they're all around and Jesus starts saying, and they're like, oh, let me time to go. I got to get out of here before he starts calling me back in, right? Nobody wants to be exposed. Everyone wants to keep their own facade intact. They want to keep their own weaknesses covered up. In verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? 
<laughs> Where are your accusers? Don't even, didn't even one of them condemn you? She said, no, Lord. And that, Jesus replied, neither do I. Neither do I. I don't condemn you. That is such a powerful statement. I do not condemn you. To condemn is to judge, to pronounce guilt, label as worthy of punishment. It's not that she didn't do it, right? She, she did it. She did the crime, right? It's that Jesus isn't going to allow her to permanently pay for it because he knows that he will eventually permanently pay for her. Think about that. He doesn't allow her to, to wallow, to, to sit in it. He doesn't want her to pay permanently. He doesn't want her to pay forever for her sins because he knows that he is the one that will carry that burden. He's given her a clean slate with which to design a new life. That's what grace does, church. When God gives us grace, he comes in with mercy and love. Grace doesn't chain people's potential to their past. Grace doesn't lock you into your past mistakes. Because if it did, then I wouldn't be here this morning sharing this message with you. Romans 8, 1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No criticism, no damnation, no uh, vilification, no disproval. Listen, the grace that God offered her is the same grace that he is offering us. And this is actually where we stop reading the scripture and this story, right? This is where we stop reading. In a lot of our minds, this is the end of the story. But Jesus says one more thing, maybe the most challenging and the most confusing thing that he says in this entire exchange. Verse, uh, uh, verse 11b, Jesus says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. If, if we edit out this piece of passage, we miss out on one of the most profound aspects of grace. We might see this as a command, which it is, but she, this woman, would have seen it as a vote of confidence. She never imagined that this was even an option for her. That she had an opportunity to do different, to be different. You see, in this culture, once a woman was labeled an adulterer, her life was absolutely over. She was stigmatized and all hope of getting married and settled down and actually having a family and being a person that was respected, a respected member of the community, all of that was out of the window now. It's probable that she had, uh, she had kids and since no one wanted her, right, she was going to have to support them herself. But there were almost no jobs available for single stigmatized women. So a lot of people in that situation would either turn to prostitution or allow themselves to be sold into slavery. There were no other options for someone in her situation. 
But yet Jesus jumps on the scene and tells her, I think there is, woman. I think that you do have an option. I see a better future for you than you can see for yourself. Just go out and grab it. Jesus is saying, I do not condemn you. You don't need to continue beating yourself up about this. Your life isn't over. The one thing that, that uh, this one thing doesn't have to define you. And you don't have to live like this anymore. In other words, you have a clean slate. Do you do not have to wait, wait, uh, let the weight of your past weaknesses dictate and predict your future. Because of my grace, late, you get to kind of change the trajectory of your life. Church, grace covers you, but it doesn't cover up for you. Right? There are issues instead of avoiding them. Some of us like to sweep our weaknesses, our issues under the rug, but we all know that eventually we're going to trip on it at some point or another if we don't address it. What if grace offers you more than forgiveness for what you did? What if it offers you a fighting chance to not have to do it anymore? Not have to live like that anymore. Romans 8, 11 and 12 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. You have no obligation. You're not forced to, right, to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. In other words, there's a way out, friends. There's a back door. There's a loop in it, however you want to see it. God's grace allows us to not sit and wallow and just sit there and say, oh, my gosh, this is me. This is my life. I'm always going to do this. I'm always going to do that. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient. My mercy and love for you is so grand that I will take the punishment, that I will take the, the, the consequences for your decisions and allow you to, to leave this way, exit out this way, and live a new life, a fresh life. You mean I don't have to walk around with this cloud of shame over my head? I don't have to walk around with this cloud of guilt, of humiliation, this cloud of heaviness that pounds me into the ground every single day? Are you serious? Because of great our weaknesses without being defined by them. Grace allows us to live the life that we have here on earth without being defined by our weaknesses. What is your weakness? What have you been walking around with for so long? Carrying that cloud. It's like, I don't I forget the guy from Peanuts, right? That he's walking around in the cloud of dust. Imagine that weight walking around with that guiltiness, that shame, Right? And God says, you don't have to do that, my son, my daughter. Because I love you so much, my grace is here. 
There are two views that float around in the Christian circles today. Number one, either God isn't condemning me, so I'll just keep doing whatever I've been doing that's destructive because I'm not going to hell. Or God's mad at me, and so I have to fix fix this thing about my life so that he will accept me. Those are the two common beliefs in this world. However, this story we just read, we just read, teaches us what if neither of those two things are true? What if neither one of those are true? Listen, Jesus seemed to think that you could not condemn and also not condone, but you can be compassionate and confrontational at the same time. He's dismissing the idea that everything is black and white, all or nothing, one or the other. He's holding two truths up at the same time. Number one, I do not condemn you. And number two, you can change. I do not condemn you and you can change. And it doesn't just end there. He says, even if you do not change, I'm going to still love you. Even if you do not change, I'm going to still love you. But because I love you, because I love you unconditionally, I want to tell you that you don't need to. So if Jesus doesn't condemn her, why does he still challenge her to change? If he doesn't condemn her, why does he still say life isn't working for her the way that she's been living it? Her life hasn't been working for her the way she's been living in it. It's what she she had settled into because it's all she thinks she's capable of or is available to her. He wants her to know she doesn't have to resign herself to being controlled by her weakness. He wants her to understand that through God's power, she can control, right? She can take control of her weakness and she can start a new story, one that is worthy to be called God's best. As a pastor, I get many people who I talk to and who are living in sin, right? And I try to explain to them what does that really mean. We do outside of the church, we don't. And the best way I could explain it is that you're not living God's best for your life. That God has purpose, a plan for your life, one that is what? Filled with hope. That's what his word promises. One that is good. And when we continue to live in sin, what we're actually doing is choosing not to live God's best life for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That verse acknowledges that there are certain things that you cannot do without God's help. 
There are certain things in life that you cannot do without God's help. Unfortunately, fortunately for you, he is willing and able to help. Let me wrap this up here. What a shame. When you think back about this story, what a shame that none of her accusers, all of those people that had gathered, right? I grew up in New York City and in the street. We called it the block. Right? That was our block. And in that block, there were just tons of apartment buildings. And they all kind of, you know, that one street, it was a one-way. Cars parked left and right of it. And there was a sidewalk. And then the sidewalk was the, these buildings, apartment buildings, where anywhere between 25 to 75 families lived in, uh, in, that, in that building. And uh, in these apartment buildings in the front, they were all windows, Right, windows up and down. And it was just the way people did life, right? So there were people that put a pillow on their windowsill and were just like this, looking out the window. I can't even say they were minding their business because they weren't. They were just looking out, watching everybody walk and, and talk, and they knew the gossip, who was arguing in front of the building, who was, who was had they look at other people's houses through across the street, because it was, it was just, they yell out, James, hey, good morning. And like, this lady's literally screaming at the top of her lungs, greeting people, good morning. And I think I shared this with you before that my mom was one of those. She, we had windows to the back. There was no one to greet in the back. So she couldn't put her pillow. If she could, she would. But there was nothing going on in the back. So when my mom wanted to check up on me, she would go to the neighbors. She didn't even knock. She would just turn the knob. Hi, so-and-so. Her name was Chana. Don't ask me about that name, but it was a fourth floor and... We were friends, her sons and I. We were almost close in age, and she would just walk in. Hola, Chana. I'm just going to check on Rafi. That's my middle name. Don't ever say it again. Right? And, and she would walk out, and she would put her hands on the lady's pillow. Talk about, a, a, you know, invading someone's space. And she would look for me. And she would yell at my, she would call out my name by my middle name. Rafael, time to come upstairs. And I would look at her like, why, Mom? I got to go upstairs. Nobody else is going upstairs. And she gave me the look. I couldn't even see at that time. I wouldn't let me wrong and come before she starts saying bad things about me. And the closing of my story has nothing really to do with me being called out like that. But back to the story was all of these people were out there looking at this lady, pointing fingers at her for what she had done calling her names, saying bad things about this lady. But what a shame that none of her accusers were there to hear that, to hear what Jesus was telling her. All they did was realize that they had a weakness and they walked away feeling ashamed. They walked away feeling hopeless. And they were hoping that nobody would find out about their weakness. That nobody would discover their sins. That nobody would discover that they were not living God's best life for them. But this lady, she 
She got to and condemn her and that he's going to help her tunnel out of the mess that she's made for, of her life. Now, we don't know what happened to this lady after this moment. The Bible doesn't keep following her. But I like to think that she began to see herself like, like Jesus saw her. And that she leveraged his power to seize control of her story and ended up living a totally different life than she thought was ever possible before. And I don't think it all happened all at once. Right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm walking, I'm walking. Jesus said he doesn't condemn me. I'm going to find me a man. I'm going to find me a home. I'm going to find me a job. I'm going to live my life by, best life by next weekend. I don't think it happened all at once. I think it was probably a process of baby steps, of little changes built on other changes, all that, uh, that all stemmed from knowing that she was loved no matter what. It was probably a cycle of relapse, of recovery, of starts and stops, of stumbling and failing, of falling short but getting back up, of grabbing a hold of God's hand and making her way forward again. Context of your life, church. What is it, you know, what is the thing that brings the most guilt and shame into your life? What is it that brings the most guilt and shame into your life? The thing you feel like you cannot, right, that you cannot do because it's such a part of you. And yet it's not who you want to be, right, or who you were made to be. But you feel like, I just, I just can't help it. I keep falling into this same trap. I keep falling into the same I keep doing it. I keep messing it up. I keep falling into this, this wrongdoing. I keep steering away from God's best for my life. And I want you to picture that in your mind because I, there, I don't think there's anyone that's perfect here. I think that, that we all have something that we fall victim to every single time. And because we are being held, we cannot walk with our head up high. We feel that shame and that guilt and that conviction and, 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 excuse me, and that condemnation over us that doesn't allow us to walk into God's best life. And when you grab to what, on to what that is, I want you to remember the two things. I want you to leave here knowing and taking away two things. Number one, that God doesn't condemn you. That he doesn't condemn you and that you can change. And even if you don't, God will still love you. God will still love you. Because he's not, uh, he's not sitting at the table waiting for you to, to check off the boxes in order for him to love you. He already loves you. He created you from him. He knows it all. But what he wants you to know is that he will not condemn you. He does not condemn you. And that you can actually 
change. And once you grab a hold of that, you can begin to walk in that freedom. And when you're ready, you can add this last piece to this life that God wants you to live. And that's that this story isn't just about how God treated her and how God treats you, but also how God wants you to treat others. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Friends, grace insists we treat others the same way Jesus treats us. So as we wrap up our time here this, this morning and this series, reflect on his grace grace that he has for each and every single one of us. That he's not out there pointing a finger at you and saying, man, you did me wrong. You're a loser because you did this. You're you're pathetic. You're never going to get it right. But he says, man, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all that you need. In fact, I have a purpose and a plan for your life. One that is good and perfect, full of hope. You don't have to continue to live this way. You don't have to continue to keep doing this. You can change. You can change the trajectory of your life and walk into this fullness that I have for you. My best for your life. And while you're walking in that, remember how I've treated you. Remember how I've... Amen.